Welcome to Second Wind with Joyce Buford, a program for and about women. Joyce Buford is a certified coach who has a passion for helping women who need a second wind. Joyce is the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, a program that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. As a certified coach, she studied directly with her mentor, Jack Canfield, author of the Chicken Soup book series, where she served as an assistant to his training program. Through her study with many prestigious coaches and mentors, she has created a powerful program that has positively impacted hundreds of people. On today's program, Joyce and her guest will help you learn how to get your second wind. Now here's our host, Joyce Buford. Good morning. Welcome to the show and to your second wind. How many of us out there have asked this question? When will I be good enough? I know I have. Different times of my life, growing up, different situations. It's just part of one of those big questions. When am I ever going to be good enough? We may be saying that to our parents. We may be saying it to ourselves. But we have said those words. If I could see a show of hands, I'd see a room full of those hands up in the air. But first, I'd like to say thank you to Casper Mattress for supporting Second Wind today. For $50 off any mattress, go to casper.com slash Joyce, J-O-I-C-E, and enter promo code Joyce to receive your $50 off. So go to Casper and look at their website and be tempted to try their product. Well, today our guest, Barbara Jaffe, is a doctor of education. She's an award-winning English professor at El Camino College, California, and is a fellow in UCLA's Department of Education. She has offered countless workshops to students to help them find their writer's voice while writing nonfiction. Her college has honored her by naming her Outstanding Woman of the Year and Distinguished Teacher of the Year. So you can tell she's a pretty awesome lady. As a fourth-generation San Francisco native, she has spent her adult life living in Los Angeles with her husband, three sons, two grandchildren, and her very sweet poodle, Bijan Emma. She is the author of When Will I Be Enough? A Replacement Child's Journey to Healing. This book talks takes us on the twists and turns of a journey of self-discovery to a place of self-acceptance. Barbara also shares her inner journey to wholesomeness so that readers might be able to relate to their own challenges and growth through whether they are a replacement child or just feel mm, less than at times. Welcome, Barbara. You're Thank speaking you so to much, everybody Joyce. out there. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here this morning to talk with you. Oh, that is such a big subject we're going to be talking about today. Your particular book and your answers you're going to share with us. But I do think that question that you ask is just universal for all of us. So my first question, just kind of clarify, what are you, could you define for us what you're calling a replacement child? 
Yes, in the most literal sense, it means that it's a child born to replace another child that was in the family but passed away. So in a sense, Mm -hmm. the child obviously wasn't expected to pass away, and the family was uh, complete, generally, and Mm. so then was not expecting to have another child and then had one intentionally to replace that child. Yeah. Yeah. And that such a sad uh, transition for families. I mean, they're all just kind of in shock and the just the grieving period is huge for that. But your situation um t- tell us about your situation, your family dynamics that kind of put a different twist on the grieving process. Yeah. Well, it was in the early 50s and lost especially, you know, the loss of a child. They didn't have the support that is um, exists today in terms of support groups and, um, you know, therapists. And my, my parents certainly didn't believe in therapy. And the doctor actually paid a house visit to my mother, who was obviously in such grief, and slapped her across mm-hmm. the face to snap her out of it, so to speak. Oh, my gosh. Yes, and told and told her to move on and have another child, and she mm. said to me over the years that was my therapy, and wow. um, so she did. I was conceived a few months later, and um, she never really fully came to terms. Not that anyone can, mm. you know, really, in a sense, it's such a profound loss. But it was mm. very hard for her, I think, to have another child, even though I know she really wanted me. It right. was just something I think she was afraid that she would lose me again, and mm-hmm. and that set up a dynamic, I think, that carried through our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so important. You bring up a fact there of, um, that going through the grieving process, as sad as it is, as sometimes it takes different amounts of time for everybody that goes through it, it's so important to help you um soften or not you can't you you never forget the child but just it's so important to you to help you move on exactly and and um we we learned very early i have an older brother so there's almost seven years difference between Stephen and i um Mm -hmm. that we we weren't allowed really to talk about jeffrey's death he was mm-hmm. two years old when he died, and mm-hmm. um, there were pictures around the house, but we were never really allowed to talk about him. Oh, my and, goodness. Yeah. Mm. My father felt more comfortable talking about it, but it was never mm-hmm. in front of my mother. Oh. Mm. Sad, sad. Must have been a lot of pain there. A lot of pain. Yeah. yeah. So how did being the replacement child affect you? I mean, well, what's interesting is I, I never defined myself as a replacement child. I, I never grew up thinking, you know, I yeah. I necessarily was the replacement child. But I grew and I, I realized that because uh, once in a while my mom would say something like, um, you know, I only wanted two children. If Jeffrey had lived, you wouldn't have been born. And I began oh. to think. What did I do for to poor Jeffrey? Mm. You know, why mm. am I here? But then I realized that my mission became making my mother happy, making uh-huh. her, um, you know, 
feel joyful. She spent a lot mm-hmm. of days in bed, and and you know, obviously looking back, she was depressed. But I didn't know that, and I would try to mm-hmm. cajole her and make her as happy as I could, and be the good little girl who required little attention. And even uh-huh. when I would get sick, as you know, everybody does with colds or the flu, I would mm-hmm. try to mask it so she would not see that I was sick because I didn't want her to be worried. So I carried that. And as mm-hmm. I grew, I realized that even though I know I was loved, um, that mm-hmm. unquestionable love, I still felt that there were pieces of me that were missing, that, that I tried mm-hmm. so hard in so many areas and just felt that other people seem to have an easier time with so many of the life roles that we have, being yeah. a wife, being a mother, being a daughter. It, just, mm-hmm. it was a lot harder for me, it seemed. Well, you must have dealt a little bit with shame. I mean, sh- a shame that you had taken your brother's place or that... Well, it, yeah, I think that was just part of innate and I couldn't uh-huh. articulate it. Yeah. But I, But it was that feeling that I had to prove my self-worth in all areas. Absolutely. Mm. So you, so the areas that you think were most affected in your development, which you didn't realize at the time, not until you decided to move on and do your own work, uh, what were, what do you think you walked away with as a um, teenager or um, young adult? Well, I, I, looking back, I think that it was. I had I did not have a difficult time making a decision in terms of um I knew that I wanted to get married, I knew that I wanted to have children, I mm-hmm. knew that I wanted to be productive and give back to society in the form of a career. But mm-hmm. I once I were in I was in those roles, I questioned myself all the time. And, oh. mm-hmm. and that was very difficult. Um, when I was a new mother, I was sure that I was doing it wrong and that <laughs> other mothers naturally knew what to do, and I didn't. Um, my first child was colicky, and um, he was uncomfortable, and I was sure that it was something that I was doing. Aww. And, of course, when the colic went away and he was joyful and happy, um, mm-hmm. I was sure that he was all of those things um, in spite of me, not in spite of me. So <laughs> I was always the hardest on myself. Oh, you were hard on yourself. And I you? was. Wow. And I found that um, in the role as a wife, my mother told me that the most, you know, very important that I needed to stay very close to her, even though I was married. And it was mm. a push and a pull because I was living away from her. So mm. I, I never felt like a good enough daughter. I never felt like a good enough wife. And those were the areas that I think were very profound in my growing as a replacement child. Mm-hmm. So when do you think that you personally got the the courage to say, okay, I need to do something about this? I think at, at the end of high school, I knew that I needed to leave home to experience something else, and I wanted to go away to the university. And, and that was fine with my parents. My mother's main direction was to make sure that I found a husband while I was at college. Yes, She wanted of me to come home with my MRS degree, my Mrs. degree. Yes. <laughs> and, and did you successfully do that for her? <laughs> I did. I did. And 
<laughs> we're still married, so so clearly it wasn't just for her, but yeah. it was the feeling of dread. She says, you know, it'll be very difficult for you to meet someone once you graduate. I was 22 when I graduated, so of course, mm-hmm. in retrospect, that mm-hmm. I was a baby. That was yeah. very silly, but it was that trepidation that I carried that I wasn't going to do it right. But right. the part deep within, the voice that was barely audible said, you need to leave home in order to find yourself. And so I did. I went to the university. I had never, um, I lived in San Francisco. I'd never been to UCLA, but I knew it was 400 miles from home. And Mm -hmm. that's where I chose to go. That's how I based my decision. And Mm -hmm. it was the beginning of the journey that I took inward and also academically that really saved my soul. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm we're sort of in the same generation because also the other requirement in the missus was the education degree. I have an education degree as well, <laughs> <laughs> but have have enough because it's very natural to me. I love teaching, so I and it's obvious by your awards that you love what you do. So working with. But it's interesting that you're, you, you want your students to find their voice through writing nonfiction. I know yes. that the writing process very, very valuable for helping people, um, identify themselves, get into their inner selves and, and, um, get to know who they are. Absolutely. But, and it's, it's difficult for students, you know, at a young age to be able to, um, go inward. It's not always comfortable, but I have them write about themselves and Mm -hmm. um, just to establish their writer's voice, and and that translates very nicely academically. Uh, Flannery O'Connor once said, you know, if if anyone who has survived childhood can write a lifetime, and and it's true. There are many (laughs) things that we, you know, students will say, I don't know what to write about, but it's a fountain of information within. Right. Now, do they choose that subject? To the writing, or is it just part of the English? Um, the subject that they write about? Well, no, going into your course. Oh, is, um, it's a freshman a, composition writing course, and so I just kind of like, direct them in terms of the readings. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. It, it uh, parallels my own journey, really. And, and tell us about that. Well, in terms of finding myself, I've done writing all my life. And mm-hmm. when I wrote my book, it was just really pieces of the book initially. Mm-hmm. And um, putting it together actually became the book. And so um, I have students begin their own journey, and then obviously I have to prepare them for their academics, so it's not all personal writing. But it's a mm-hmm. jumping-off point. It creates the foundation. So they, they can be introspective. This is, this question just came to me. How, when they select their, uh, first topic of writing or however you direct them, do they always start in their later years or do they start in their younger years or do you help them direct them through that? I try to direct them by giving them prompts that will enable mm-hmm. them to, um, go within, but still have a strong memory. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just the memory where it just begins to get a little cloudy, and that's kind of where we stop. So they have a lot of 
information still. So these, you know, if they're like 18 years old, sometimes it's maybe 10, 12, mm-hmm. or in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, so many of our campuses anymore is so diverse in ages. Do you, is that the same way on the UCLA campus? Well, yeah. So, so at UCLA, um, I'm, I'm in oh, the... Oh, you're not there. Graduate. You're at... I'm, yeah, I, I teach... I work with yeah. the graduates, but at the community college, absolutely. In mm-hmm. one class, we can have eight, 18-year-olds all the way um, into 40, 50 mm-hmm. um, people coming back to strengthening their skills or, or starting new careers, and that's the beauty of the community college. And mm-hmm. it's also the diverse, diverse classroom really enables for such rich uh, discussions and oh, writing. Yeah. So it is quite beautiful. Yeah. Um, I know so many friends who, as coaches, they really stress the importance of writing for self-discovery. Yes, and it's uh, uncomfortable for a lot of people, I think, to to put the pen on paper feeling that they're going to be judged. So we talk about <laughs> that. and Writing, sometimes I say people, the pen is attached to our brains and we are, we think that we're going to be judged constantly. Mm-hmm. So there's that, that fear that I have to make the students feel more comfortable about. Right. And I tell them my own fear. It's the same thing. You have fear? You write beautifully. Thank you. But, it, <laughs> but I've had to own that too, feeling that I wasn't a good enough writer. Oh, no. Yes. We just always have it, don't we? (laughs) Yes, it's so true. It's so true. I have to work on those voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, as I shared with you earlier when we were visiting, I too wrote, did finished. And I'm very much the same way. I'm like, oh, gee, I wonder if they'll like this. It's just part of what we do, isn't it? It's kind of interesting. I guess so. I think the only part of my journey that I've had the most confidence in is my um, education, and that's because it's the one world that I created really for myself mm-hmm. where I didn't have anybody setting limits on that. But um, it's it, in all areas, really, I've had to work very hard. And But I think that's one of the messages of my book it's not mm-hmm. whether someone is a replacement child or not, but that we can have wonderful, enriched lives. Despite any challenges we have, it's just about hard work and the journey to mm-hmm. take those steps to do that. So you talked about in your in your book um, about when you made that decision. What was the defining moment? You said college, but yet I'm getting a span of, did you, you also dealt with uh, um, a food disorder, and but yes. that was in your teens, wasn't that in your, when you were home? It started in my home, and mm. I was probably around 12, and mm. Yeah, and that has carried through my entire life. That That is something for me that on a daily basis I have to work with. Certainly I'm not anorexic anymore, but mm-hmm. um, I do have eating issues. 
And I think that was established early on as a form of control for myself. I think in my young life, I felt so out of control. There's so mm-hmm. many things that I couldn't do. And that was one area where I, I could actually decide what to eat and, of course, what not to eat. Right. Yeah. Um, but out of control, in other words, your parents were very controlling. So they controlled I'm, everything. Yes, my mother was very controlling, and I was chubby, and she didn't want me to have to grow up worrying about my weight so much. It was at a, I mean, it was at a time where Twiggy and the stick thin, thin models and the hot pants, and and so she would tell me to watch it, and um, I realized that when I lost a few pounds and. A, there were positive remarks from her and from other people, and then mm-hmm. I just kept going. And the more, she, then she would tell me to eat, and then I was happy arguing that I wasn't going to eat, and that spiraled out of control to the point where I was fainting, and my period oh, stopped at a year and a half, and yeah. yeah. So my my parents actually did their own form of therapy. They fed me ate Oreo cookies every night with a glass of milk and then weighed me. Oh, my goodness, really? Yes. Mm. And I think it was at a time before anorexia was really <laughs> given the name and where there were support and th- and therapy and, and doctors to talk about the eating right. disorders. Do you think that the issue of anorexia is still a, um, as... Um, it seemed like back in the days, the earlier days, like when you were in in high school, that it was we were more about our physical appearance, Absolutely. more about. And we, I I hope to think that we're not as much that way today. I think you're right. I think you know health is very important, and eating healthily and balanced, and um, women's images. It's not about. Mm-hmm just the way we look on the outside, certainly, and there's so much more in terms of marketing and advertisers being aware of the subliminal messages that we're sending out to the young women today. Mm-hmm. But in those days, it, it just seemed like being thin for me was everything because I wasn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is the... Is the therapy for that, the recovery process, is that done in the home, or do you have to go to a a facility to help you? Well, I think probably if it were today, Mm -hmm. um, I might have gone to a facility or at least have had intensive therapy. Right. But the Oreo cookies and the guilt, (laughs) and my mother sent me to her gynecologist who was supposed to talk me out of my eating disorder and told me I was killing my parents by by not eating, you know, the guilt. Oh, my goodness. There you that go with the guilt therapy. again. That was my therapy, <laughs> right? Right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's so funny. We think we've, pro- we've made progress here. in our. Yes, we have. Our- we sure have. We have made progress. They just don't understand how much progress that we've made. The young people don't. But anyway, so when you decided that 
you were going off to college. Did you say, I'm going to go away, I'm going to fix all this, I'm going to start over, I'm going... And, of course, we know you're carrying no baggage, but did you have this kind of I'm going to conquer the world attitude? Not at all. Did you see at all? No, I just knew that I wanted to go away and experience something else. At the same time, I was profoundly homesick and missed my mother terribly. Oh, yeah, Um, lots of uh, structure there. Yes, but like I said, it was almost a spiritual experience in the sense that there was this voice within pushing me to go, but at the same time feeling so conflicted. And Mm -hmm. I really had no direction other than I, like other people, took classes Mm -hmm. and found Mm -hmm. what I liked and and met people and and had a social life. So I, I, I never had that moment where I said, I'm going to fix everything because I didn't even know what needed to be fixed. Yeah, but it was at a time where people were more off, open. There were um, away from home. There were encounter groups mm-hmm. and a lots of little groups that that create that were created to talk about your inner feelings, which is something I never did at home. Oh, that's so great. I gravitated toward that. I gravitated toward yeah. when people were talking about the um, metaphysical mm-hmm. issues, and I just loved all that. So different mm-hmm. the way I was raised. Right. Yeah. So you found going to UCLA where you did attend, right? Yes. Um, as a good way to go. In other words, the size of the campus wasn't overwhelming to you because you found your niche. Yes, niche, I never even niche. thought about there were small colleges and large colleges. I didn't. I mm-hmm. really was not educated at all in what college was. I just knew it was not at home. Really, <laughs> I had no idea that there were small colleges that were more intimate. Yeah, yeah. So when you were writing this, how long did it take you to decide, I want to write a book? And what well, were the two? Yeah. From the time I was a little girl, I've always wanted to write a book. I used to go to bookstores and libraries and just loved to smell and loved to look at the stacks of books and envisioned my name on the spine of the book. And yeah. yes, the topic <laughs> always eluded me. I, I didn't quite know what to write about, um, so I'd have many false starts and and writing. So um, about. I don't know, uh, over five years ago, I took a couple personal retreats and just kind of meditated and focused on areas that I was really interested in. And of course, one of the issues was my eating disorder that I wanted to write about, um, always with the idea of kind of an inner growth, because when I write, I am transported. I really feel that, you know, time stops and I can take that inward journey and learn so much. And that eventually turned into um, what would be my chapter. And mm-hmm. I had no direction, just like no direction about once I went to college. I had no uh, direction as to where the book was taking me. I just kind of prayed on it. My ne- The next indicated mm-hmm. step would be the next chapter. And mm-hmm. I would take myself away for a couple days um and just go to a B&B that I love in Santa Barbara and do my writing, and which turned into the book. And then I felt I really feel that this writing will help other people, which mm-hmm. was the impetus for me to want to publish it. Mm-hmm. Besides helping me so much, I figured it would help other people. 
other oh, definitely. women, especially. Yeah. Well, we are, we are going to break shortly um, so that we can come back and talk more with you, Barbara, that because be it's wonderful. fascinating your journey, how you created the writing for me, who is not a strong writer. I'm I'm in, I'm just in awe of anybody that can write as beautifully as you as you write, and so expression with so much expression. Um, Thank you, that it really is a pleasant read. I mean, you can really adapt and go with the book. So we're going to take a short break. We will be back shortly to talk about Barbara. I'm going to ask her about why she wrote. She's already told us that, but there were two reasons that she really wanted this book written and out there for you all to read. So uh, we'll tell you where you can get your book and where you can start your journey and how to start your journey. So when we come back, we'll continue talking with Barbara Jeffy. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. Casper is made of supportive memory foam for a sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Now, this breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night. You can buy it easily online and completely risk-free. Want to try a mattress, a Casper mattress? Then you have that privilege. Casper offers free delivery and painless returns within a 100-day period. Free shipping and returns to most areas. So the action today is you can save additional $50 toward a mattress purchase by going to Casper dot com slash Joyce J O Y C E and using promo code Joyce and get that fifty dollars off the price. Thank you for being with us today and thank you Casper for supporting Second Wind. Transformational coach, motivational speaker, and author, Joyce Buford returns after this short break. Would you like to know how to bring more ease to all the decisions you need to make in life? Knowing your core values is the first step in Joyce's free live masterclass. You'll discover your top five core values in as little as 45 minutes. Join her now at free gift from joyce.com close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits where would you go who would you meet what would you do during an uncover your hidden genius session you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. Welcome back to this segment of Second Wind. 
Joyce Buford, the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, continues in this segment to share insight that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. Now here's our host, author and coach, Joyce Buford. We are talking today with Barbara Jaffe, and she is a gifted writer and so fascinating to talk and share about her transition through being what she calls a um oh barbara i've gone blank here Um, a replacement child and she's explained what a replacement child is but there are other there are other situations you actually came in very quickly after your mother had lost a child and but there are other situations that we could kind of identify ourselves as um replacement children and some of those i you know i am an adoptive mother so i can easily see where that could happen in some families i adopted two children uh, in We've had a great life together. But some of the other situations are with so much divorce, there's lots of blended families. Blended now, families, that's right. Yeah. Families so in, of addiction where um, maybe a parent has um, an alcohol problem or drug mm-hmm. problem where mm-hmm. the child is left to maybe assume some of the roles of the parent right. growing up that way. These are all issues where we can feel less than and overcompensate in some areas of our lives. Oh, wow. You really did. Oh, that is so right. That affects so many people in our in our environment, in our civilization. We're all dealing with some of those issues at some level in our life. Absolutely. And I, I think especially women, we have so many roles that we are required to fulfill in, in mm-hmm. our lives, and it, we can sometimes be our worst enemy in setting up the high standard for us to meet, which seems untenable at times. Mm. Yeah. Well, in your notes, you said that we come into this world as into this world as babies, and we're blank slates. Some people believe, but you say no. We come with tools. <laughs> that are unique to us. So can you talk about, you share that thought with us? I do believe that. I do believe I'm I'm very spiritual, metaphysical, and I do believe that we come to this earth with our special talents and, and mm-hmm. gifts, and mm-hmm. um, we have unique challenges that we need to work out in our lifetime to learn our lessons in order to progress spiritually. And I, I do believe that I was, born into the exact family that I needed to be born into to learn mm-hmm. the lessons that I needed to learn. I I have great gratitude for my brother who passed away in order to give me space to be in that family. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I honor him in, in this book also. So I do feel that we each have our roles. And within the family, um, and we know our siblings, each one has their unique perspective of their childhood. Mm-hmm. I, my older brother um, obviously was not a replacement child because of his gender and, and his birth order. had a very mm-hmm. different experience in terms of his childhood, and, and I honor that too. But we all have our unique journeys. 
Mm-hmm. It's so true. There's a game um, that some may have played where you sit in a circle and you start out with one sentence and you pass it around the circle, each one whispering into each other's one person whispering to the right into somebody's ear. And by the time it goes around the circle and comes out on the other side, it is totally different from the original statement. And so I think that's kind of some interpretation as well as, like you said, your brother saw things different from his perspective by his uniqueness than you did. You're going to pick up on different things that he didn't pick up on. So we take in that information so differently, and we can be in the same environment. Absolutely. That's right. In fact, he does not remember um, our brother, the brother that passed away. And Mm -hmm. Stephen, the oldest, was about five and a half when Mm -hmm. Jeffrey passed away. So I think that's an interesting perspective and idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah really is but i do agree with you that i think we all come in with our own unique qualities just like you love to write i don't really i i do write but i have much more um um i'm not as comfortable let's say writing as you per i can see you do you love it so and you say you can get lost in it which i think is a gift you know to be able to do that Yes. I could do that in other areas, but not Exactly. Yeah. And one of the ironies is, is that it, it's not always easy for me to talk about myself. And someone says, you do realize how strange that sounds. You just wrote a book about yourself. <laughs> and I said, but I wrote it. <laughs> and so it's been a, a wonderful challenge for me to rise to the occasion to be able to share my book, but also talk uh-huh. about it, because I do want to get it out there. I think it will help a lot of people. And uh-huh. so I am talking about it. And again, it's not necessarily something that comes as natural to me as I was sure it would come for you as a host and a coach that is very you know, comfortable talking uh-huh. about it. But I, I'm another challenge that I'm meeting in my life. Yeah, we stay, you're stepping up and you're doing it great. <laughs> we do what we want to do, right, in our lives. Oh, we do. Sometimes we go in there with a little fear, but, you know, you got to do it. That gets That's you through okay. it. Contrary yeah. Contrary often, right. So the book is reaching for that, is fulfilling for the replacement child, which we've identified some of those different situations. And then also it's sort of as a, a guide for parents is another wish that you would want this book to have as well, right? Yes, I think so. It, how wonderful it would have been if my mother was able to read something like this to just get a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also provide some exercises, some reflections on um, writing exercises that I created for myself. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when I am upset about something or need to work through something, I much rather write about it than talk about it. So I created the exercises to help the reader perhaps look at different areas of their life that they can um, grow from and improve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't talked about, I mean, yes, those are wonderful tools and it's, it's an additional reason to get the book as a guide to help people. But you are also a contributing author to psychology today and you have a fascinating, interesting blog, which I 
read several of your articles there. So, uh, you are, there are many ways that we can get to Barbara Jaffe <laughs> and get yes, the wisdom. There are many ways. I would love you to contact <laughs> me, right? Um, the best way at, um, would be where you can reach the Psychology Today blog. Um, uh-huh. I write for InnerSelf.com and another blog, too. And about my book is my website. So I'll, I'll say it and then I'll spell it. It's oh, yes. BarbaraAnnJaffe.com, B-A-R-B-A-R-A-A-N-N-J-A-F-F-E.com, Barbara Jaffe. BarbaraAnnJaffe.com. Okay. Now, when they go to buy your book, they can go to Amazon, but Correct. it's also offered on your website? Or uh, does well, that take there's them? a link from my website to, that goes straight to Amazon. Okay. Yeah. And then wherever any book is sold, um, they'll be able to pick it up. Okay. So there are lots of resources out there for you, but I think the Amazon world is growing, growing, growing. So if you're like me, I <laughs> that's how I get my books. And yeah, you've got your, convenient. you've also got the uh, Kindle version. The Kindle version as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us um, where you want to go with this book are you going to be teaching workshops with the book are you going to how are you going to use it in in your life after it's read um will you be doing further work with it i would love to give workshops um Mm -hmm. the uh, workshops i have given in the past just um relate to writing uh Mm -hmm. I, i help teachers of writing to teach their students but um in this journey I would love to be able to share my thoughts and maybe provide workshops for the exercises that I do, combining my love of writing and the teaching Mm -hmm. of writing, but really focusing on our journey. I would love to do that. Um, I would love to be able to talk about my experiences because I think there are a lot of people out there who, if they're not replacement children, have some of the characteristics, as you had started the program Mm -hmm. saying, Mm -hmm. if you had seen everybody out there raising their hands who <laughs> in their lives at some point have not felt good enough. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would love to be able to talk about these issues that really have not been talked about that much. So definitely mm-hmm. I would love to share that in around the country if I could. Oh, gee, Barbara, we've got you another job. You can do the <laughs> workshops. They're so needed. Well, I am retiring from my um, teaching position at the community college in June. So I think this is the next indicated step. Oh, yeah. Um, I think everybody wants to write a book. And I encourage everybody to write a book. In my work, working with individuals, I think it's really important to get your story out there. And I am amazed at how many people say back to me, I don't have a story. Just exactly. being here is a story. <laughs> Just like my students will say, I have nothing to write about. And they have such, you talk to them for five minutes, they have such richness of, of things they can share. And I'm sure it's the same thing when you talk to someone and you say, that's a book. And they yeah. say, well, I don't think so. And, and I, I too dealt with that. Well, you know, there are other people who have been through so much more. There are other people who have so much more important things to share. And then someone say, but they're not sharing it. You are. You're writing it. 
So we all do. You're right. We all have our stories that are so important. Well, I want people to remember that what comes easy to us is not easy to somebody else, just like we've talked about the writing. But there are lots of things that if we don't think it's um, important primarily because it comes easy to us, but it is important because there are people that don't have your skill or their skill. So that's why they need to share it. Now, I've also seen people write books just as I had a client that wrote a book just to pass down her family's recipes. Yeah, so I love those kind of books. Mm -hmm. Those are gems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So her whole thing was, I want to pass these down to my children. And she told stories in her book. So oh. have, have you worked with people that have done that? Or is that um, I, to explore? I've known someone who's done that, and um, the family traditions are intertwined with the recipes. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I love the idea of, of passing that down to generation. I mean, long after I'm not here to be able to have this book, to be able to share with grandkids, great-grandkids, this is what, you know, grandmother was like, or this is what she thought. And because when our our ancestors, when they when they they were very old, if we were still alive, and we 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 forget that they were young once and had their own issues and challenges, especially in a lot of families, including mine, we didn't really talk about these things, and so we didn't know our elders as three dimensional people, and how wonderful it would be. If everyone was able to put those ideas down in writing and share them with the mm-hmm. next generation. Yeah. As we get so busy with our technology world, we stop talking. And the value of that is lost, you know, that we can pass these stories down about our history. Um, yeah. I think it's more important today than it's ever been. Yes, we are so connected and disconnected at the same time. That's right. Um, my mother just passed and as I reflect over her gifts that she gave to me at one time I didn't think they were gifts they were sort of thorns in my side (laughs) and um, but as I reflect I see those gifts so much easier and they're really noteworthy because without those gifts I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing I wouldn't be it's just amazing how right. our lives are changed. Yes. Right? It's a beautiful way to see that the, sometimes the challenges are also gifts. That's right. right. Yeah. Now, you do bring up a, a really important thing that I want to cover with people, that when you realized that there were things working in your life that you didn't want, that you, that you wanted to correct or you wanted to work on, you talked about stepping up. And I think everybody needs to realize that the blame game has to go away to get growth. That's right. I always feel the statute of limitations on blaming our parents really runs out when we're 18. Um, (laughs) That early? (laughs) Yes, that early. Not to be able to see ourselves as victims, but to say, Uh okay, you know, I think it's absolutely fine and normal to have a little bit of that pity once in a while. So sometimes I'll set my white watch. I'll say, okay, I, I'll feel sorry for myself for about 10 minutes. And that's all I give Love myself. It. 
Um, And so I just feel, well, I need to move on and not feeling as a victim, but rather as somebody who is can make choices and I'm in charge of the outcome and the joy of my life and not waiting for somebody else to give me anything. I used to do that. I used to expect that people, I would give the example of my husband, that he, that he would understand what I was thinking and he would give me what I needed and he should always know what I'm thinking and what I want. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> and then I realized that if I want something, I need to tell that person, even my husband, that this is what I want. And this is what I need. How can I expect he knows exactly, even if we've been living together for so long? And that was a a huge eye-opener and paradigm shift for me. And Mm -hmm. I've been so much happier because I I say what I want. And Mm -hmm. that's been hard, too, because in my family of origin and growing up and being the people pleaser for countless years, um, I didn't want to say what I wanted. I would it's much easier to say, okay, whatever you want, I'll do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can so hear that. Yeah. We as women are, I tend to be more people pleasers. That's we right. want to, we are the nurturers. We make everybody else comfortable. That's <laughs> so right. I, I kind of, you know, it's the burnt toast syndrome where um, you're making toast. <laughs> And the burnt yeah. piece, okay, I'll eat the burnt piece, you know, and I'll give Barbara, I love everybody it. That's else. great. And I'll give everybody else. And now what I do is I just, you know, I'll sadly throw out the burnt toast or make croutons out of it. I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> love that. Oh, it's so perfect. Well, when you, when you started on your journey, you talked about you went to self-help books first. Yeah. And then, and then you went to find help outside of yourself. So using counselors and yes. workshops. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I've spent a lifetime looking inward and, uh, reading what I could that would help me, um, talking to therapists that, mm-hmm. um, would able, were able to guide me into coming up with the answers myself. So, mm-hmm. yes. Absolutely. It's been a lifetime journey, and I have worked tirelessly in doing whatever I could to better myself. Mm -hmm. And that did at times require me to get outside help. Well, you know, there's no excuse these days. There's all sorts of self-help books out there with all different kinds of problems that we have. I A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed a, another woman, Sandra Martin, and she talks about how she was active in in starting the self-help industry in books. Wow. wow. And I mean, that is awesome. We never think about that. But what an impact it has made on our society that we can we can start out in our home, in our little quiet home. Nobody knows that we're working on this. But there is so much growth from going to a book and reading about it and understanding. And your book is a beautiful example of that. What a wonderful book. So everybody needs to get that book and put it (laughs) in the library. (laughs) I'm pushing this book because I think it's a great way to start and then being open to other areas that you need maybe help with growing yes and i think that it's comfortable for me to go inward but i understand it's not 
always comfortable for everybody else. So, you know, you can take just one chapter at a time and learn my my story because I think we can learn so much about ourselves through reading somebody else's story that we can connect with and relate to. Somehow we see it easier, don't we? If we yes. look at somebody else first and say, oh. And we also oh, sometimes believe that everybody else has an easier life than we do. Yes. Um, and that's, of course, not the case. We all have our struggles. Uh, yeah, yeah. We do. I think that's part of growth, isn't it? It is, absolutely. <laughs> you can't grow without a struggle. That's no, the only reason can't. you want to get out of discomfort. <laughs> that's right. So, I, I, okay, so now you're going to move into freedom, freedom in that you get to play more with your grandchildren now that you don't have time. <laughs> you're not at, at the office teaching in your yeah. uh, education world. But, um, I, I'm so excited about, I hope you go on a speaking tour about your book. And share that with people. Do you have plans of doing that? Well, I do have several um, book tours. Um, right now, they're in California. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I'm planning to do that and mm-hmm. um, getting my writing out there more. As you mentioned, I uh, write for Psychology Today. I'm a regular contributor and uh, InnerSelf.com. So I'm I'm getting my writing out there. And mm-hmm. um, that's all part of the process. And, again, I've, I'm getting more and more comfortable with it because, like most areas of my life, I thought, really, is my writing good enough? Is my writing good enough? <laughs> and I just have to believe what everybody is saying, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm owning that, too. Right. Yeah. Right. Good for you. Now, share with my audience one more time where they can get your book. So um, you can go to my website, and there's a link to the to Amazon to buy the book, or you can go to any bookstore, and if they don't have it on the shelves, they will order it. So my website is barbaraannjaffe.com, B-A-R-B-A-R-A-A-N-N-J-A-F-F-E.com. My book is When Will I Be Good Enough? A Replacement Child's Journey to Healing. And um, at the website, you can link on to Amazon, and you can get mm-hmm. the uh, hard copy or the Kindle copy. Mm-hmm. Well, they'll love just reading your website. I thought it was very good. You've got books that you recommend by Barbara Jaffe. Have you written all these? No. No, um, but there are books that have helped Other. me in my journey, and I wanted to share them with the reader. Oh, yes. There's some great books on here. And some yeah. pictures of me and a little mm-hmm. bit about myself and mm-hmm. the media page, other interviews I've done. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. my blog. It's a great website. So go visit her at com. Now, as we close, I'm really excited to know that you surely you have another book that's just bubbling inside of you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny you should ask. What what is coming to the surface is the idea of reflections and um, different areas of my life in which I'm reflecting on um, ideas of feeling grateful. Idea ideas of I wrote a recent blog post on not having regrets 
because mm-hmm. I think regret is really a wasted emotion. Uh, so thinking about those kinds of little tidbits of um, things that we do well or um, independence, those kinds of issues, especially for women, I'm, I can envision a book where each chapter is on a different topic. Oh, that we deal with, like regret, forgiveness. That's that. right, longing, yeah. um, motherhood that is, is now on the the ebb of of growth where your children are independent and the longing and the loss that comes with that, but also the acceptance and the growth. Well, you have a beautiful piece in here about what I'm grateful for. Yeah. That is a blog that she wrote. And um, as I read that, I went, oh, Gee, I mean, little things you mentioned that are just grateful. I'm just, I still have a lot of hair. Granted, it's turning gray at a fast rate every month, but at least I have hair. You go down to so many other things that are just small things, but big. You know, we overlook them. It's true. And I think for me, the antidote of, of being sad is to be grateful. So every day I write a grateful list, and actually my niece and I email each other our grateful list. We don't necessarily Uh talk about what's on the list, but we share. And some days if someone is having a hard day, you can still feel grateful. Like, I'm grateful for my first cup of coffee in the morning. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for chocolate. Do you put a number to that? You know, Jack, my mentor, Jack Canfield, had Mm -hmm. us do five. So do you kind of put a a limit on that or do you just write down? Yeah, we do five minimum, but sometimes okay. there are days where there's nine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's great that you do that and send it to somebody. That's actually a, a great way to be accountable. To yeah, it's have wonderful. some consistency. Yeah. And then yeah. um, a few people that I, I've run into that actually were reading the blog that you just talked about, about being grateful. She says, my husband and I have started our grateful list. We do it every night before we go to sleep. I thought, well, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. What a great way to stay in touch and and yet kind of know each, um, that conversation gets lost. Yeah, and, and just the, whatever is on someone's grateful list, you can really understand where they are, what they're working mm-hmm. on during the day, and how mm-hmm. what their life is without having to say anything, and it's, it's wonderful. And my niece is, you know, a young mother, whereas I'm a grandmother, so mm-hmm. we're at different areas of our lives, and so here she's dealing with, you know, she had an, an easy bedtime, or um, the kids slept through the night, whereas mm-hmm. I'm on the other end, you know. I slept in. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and you're looking forward to more of those days, are you not? Yes, exactly. Yes. (laughs) Well, Barbara, I can hardly wait for the next book. I think it will be a a welcome addition to the self-help industry. I mean, it'll be a tool that we can all use. So thank you very much for being on my show today, for sharing your wisdom and your writing. Thank you so much for inviting me. I loved our conversation. Thank you. Now, next week, we are always on to a new journey. We have another wonderful guest. But every week, there are such jewels that you all can take. And I hope you'll share this with friends. Let them know about the importance of tuning into Second Wind, what it can offer, how you can grow, and how you can stay connected to the important things that 
are going on all around us, and we can sometimes miss them. Just because life is full of stress and frustration, and we're moving constantly. So, I have so enjoyed being with you this morning. I've enjoyed my conversation with Barbara, and I hope you have as well. Have a great week. Joyce Buford returns next week at this same time for another edition of Second Wind. Through the Joyce Buford Empowerment System, women are receiving support during their transition and are able to reclaim their true purpose and strength. They receive the tools they need to map out new lives. You can find out more about her coaching services at